weeks of the MLS season have flown by and we have started to see the teams that plan on being the best in the league and the teams that look like they're going to have really long seasons. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Scalarsep, and it's a little earlier show than, than we've had the last couple of uh, weeks. Uh, as I told you, we're trying to do two shows a week, and uh, one of the reasons we have a, we'll have a, we're having a show on Wednesday this week is because I have a special guest on the show today. None other than Chicago Fire midfielder Dax McCarty. It's obviously a huge week for him. Uh, he's returning to Red Bull Arena. Uh, it's the it's the date that a lot of people had circled on the calendar as soon as the schedules came out. Dax McCarty's return to Red Bull Arena after the trade that sent him to the Chicago Fire. So much to talk about there. Uh, we get Dax for, for quite a long time, actually. We touched on a bunch of topics. It's definitely an interview you're going to want to hear. But before we get to that, there's plenty to get into. MLS Week 8, we're going to wrap that up. Uh, there's plenty of news on the MLS front. MLS salaries are out once again. And as you know, every year when the salaries are out, there's plenty to chew on, plenty of, of surprises, plenty of head scratchers, plenty of uh, impressive uh, purchases by teams when you realize you know, some teams have, have done really well on the market. Uh, and also a lot of unanswered questions because, as we know, MLS salaries, when they're released, we don't always have the full information. So take them, take them with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, Mauro Diaz is back with Dallas. We'll get into that a little bit. But before we get into the MLS stuff, we have to start off talking Americans abroad uh, this week. There's a lot of news to touch on. Starting off with a little bit of bad news. Actually, it is bad news. Is John Brooks is injured again. Suffered a, uh, a, a muscle tear in his hip. And now there's questions about just what his status is going to be. How long he's going to be out. The U.S. national team plays their World Cup qualifiers in June against Trinidad and Tobago. And Mexico at Azteca, and right now the clock's ticking on John Brooks and whether or not he'll be available for that. And obviously, the focus for him right now is getting healthy and, and seeing if he can get back in time for Hertha Berlin. Hertha currently in fifth place in the Bundesliga. They're nine points back at Hoffenheim for the fourth and final Champions League place. So that's pretty much, you look at that, they're probably not going to catch that, but they're going to want to hold on to fifth place in the automatic Europa League spot. And now they're not going to have. Brooks for uh, for an amount of time we don't know yet we don't know how long he's going to be out and I'm, I know Bruce Arena is going to watch this closely uh, to see if the center back is going to going to be back in time and be able to contribute obviously this has been a bit of an issue for him uh, staying healthy um, and he's he obviously missed the uh, the second game against Panama in um, in the March qualifiers and now will he be ready for June and Bruce Arena is going to have to make some decisions there who does he play at left center back. Obviously, you, you consider someone like Tim Ream, someone like Matt Beesler, or if he decides that, you know what, it's okay if we don't have a left-footed player, we're going to go with our two best center backs. And if we might see a Jeff Cameron, Omar Gonzalez tandem, uh, Jeff Cameron, uh, he might not be left-footed, but he's he's skilled enough where if you could put him on the left and maybe play Cameron and Omar Gonzalez together. Jo- DeAndre Yedlin is someone who you look at and you expect, you know, over the when he's ready to go, when he's healthy, he's your right back. Um and more more than ever now, you kind of look at that and you say, "All right, Cameron and Gonzalez just might be the tandem, especially if John Brooks can't go." Um, so, some some good news. We're gonna get a little bit of good news uh, as far as DeAndre Yelling goes. Yedlin and Newcastle have have been promoted back to the English Premier League. That's a big uh, big step for Yedlin and, and Newcastle. And obviously, when Yedlin made the when he signed with Newcastle last year. Uh, there were definitely a lot of questions about why is he going down to the league championship? Shouldn't he uh, shoot for the Premier League? There were definitely teams in the Premier League that were interested in signing him uh, last summer, and he, he chose to go to Newcastle. 
I know there were people that were not happy with that that move at the time, and and uh, Jurgen Klinsmann chief among them. Uh, but DeAndre Yedlin, you know, he made the decision. He saw the potential, obviously playing for Rafa Benitez and playing for a team and a club in Newcastle with the resources to get back in the Premier League and potentially stay in the Premier League and 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 get back to you know being a regular in the top flight. Obviously, Newcastle with a history of of, of not just being in the top flight, but you know being being a good team. So now they're back up. Um, and Yellen will obviously be a part of the uh, of of the next season for them. I know he's been injured. Uh, he was injured recently, and he's been out of the mix a bit. But when he's been healthy, he's been a pretty uh, consistent regular for for Rafa Benitez, and I think he's going to have a role uh, a good role to play for them in in the upcoming season in the Premier League, and that's a big one for for him, and that's big for the U.S. national team. And uh, speaking of U.S. national team fullback options. Timmy Chandler had himself a week, uh, has had himself quite a week, actually. Uh, first, he ends, he he has a team of the week performance in Eintracht Frankfurt's uh, 3-1 victory against Augsburg, uh, making the Bundesliga team of the week, which, you know, I've had my reservations about the team of the week selections in the past for the Bundesliga because it does kind of feel like whenever they have an opportunity to put an American or a Mexican on that team, they find a way to get them on there, even though they might not necessarily belong on there. Um traffic driven position uh, picks maybe and you know what they wouldn't be the only uh league that does that uh, i'm not gonna name any names but uh but still he did well he, and then he followed it up uh with a good performance in the in the german cup in the dfb pokal semi-final uh registering an assist and now eintracht frankfurt is in the the dfb pokal final where they'll be playing the winner of Borussia dortmund and bayern munich and yes that's right folks christian pulisic and dortmund Take on Bayern in the other semifinal, which is going on uh, this afternoon as we speak. I'm gonna. I, I plan on dropping this episode of the SBI show uh, right, right uh, as early as possible in the afternoon on Wednesday. So, if you're listening to this and it's still not three o'clock Wednesday, try to get to a TV and try to watch Christian Pulisic take on Bayern Munich in uh, the DFB Pokal, and maybe we'll see a Pulisic against Chandler uh, DFB Pokal final which would definitely be a be an interesting one. And Pulisic also has he's had him he had he had himself a good weekend as well. Uh played really well for Dortmund in their victory over uh Mönchengladbach this past weekend and you know what? He just keeps it rolling, keeps playing with confidence, keeps playing well. Uh and he's going to have a huge part to play uh in the June World Cup qualifiers for Bruce Arena and uh and and it just he just keeps it going. So uh we'll see if he can do something against Bayern Munich and uh, we'll have that we'll be able to talk about that in the next episode. Uh, on uh, which will probably drop on Friday. Uh, I'm not sure who our guest will be. It's going to be hard. Tough, it's going to be a tough act to follow after Dax McCarty uh, on this episode. But we'll, we'll 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 work it out. We'll set it up. Um, and for those of you who missed it last week, uh, we I dropped a show on Saturday actually, um, or was it Friday evening? It might have been Friday. I, can, I don't even remember now. But I, we had Kakuda Mane on uh, the Columbus Crew slash uh, prospective U.S. national team winger. Uh, talk to him about the move to Columbus, his national team aspirations. He has yet to make his debut for the crew. He actually didn't dress. He, he didn't travel with the crew uh, to their recent trip to the Red Bulls, which they lost. Um, but I spoke to Greg Berhalter after that match, and he told me that, you know, Kikuda Mane is working on his fitness and that, you know, he's a little behind, but one, but that he has a big role to play uh, for the crew. So, I mean, I think it'll it's only a matter of time. I know I saw some comments from Mane this week where he seemed a little kind of disheartened by the fact that he had that he didn't travel, and you know he's he's a young player, he's used to playing, he's used to traveling, uh, but he you know what he's a pro, and and he, he's uh he's gonna be able be able to handle himself well, and 
I think he's got a, a bright future there with the crew. And, and having talked to Burhalter, it definitely sounds like Burhalter has big plans for him. Uh, so just, you know, getting back to that, uh, back to the Americans abroad front, uh, another player who had a good weekend, Joe Corona and, uh, club Tijuana club first place club Tijuana with another victory two zero over Toluca and Joe Corona. Yes. Who was on the SBI show a week ago, scored a goal. And once again, the SBI, uh, the, the goal jinx continues. And I told Joe Corona, I told him, uh, when we did the show. After we record, I said, listen, just so you know, usually if someone comes on our show, they score a goal pretty soon after they've been on the show. And he he kind of got a laugh out of it. So there you go, Joe Garona, a goal for you. So uh, and, and it's not immediate, just so you guys know, it's not immediate. Doesn't mean you score a goal the next game, but usually within two games of coming on the show, you're going to score a goal. So we'll see if Kakuta Mane can keep it going once he actually uh, breaks in and gets playing time for the crew if he can keep the goal streak going. Uh, but Joe Corona did his part, uh, scoring on a on a nice header, uh, and he's played really well, and uh, he continues to do his thing. And for those of you who missed it, definitely go back and listen to, to the episode of the SBI show with Joe Corona as our guest. He definitely discussed uh, his time at, at, at Tijuana and getting back in with the Cholos after some time away on loan, and also his, his U.S. national team aspirations because Corona – much like Mane, much like pretty much every midfielder that's on the radar, they they see this as a big summer, a big opportunity with the Gold Cup, with World Cup qualifying, big opportunities for people to get back into the national team conversation. Bruce Arena is the coach now, and there is a sense in, within the pool that Arena is going to look at a wider range of players. And and not to say Jurgen Klinsmann didn't look at players. He looked at – Jurgen Klinsmann looked at a ton of players, just to be fair to him. But he had there were guys that he was he liked and guys that he kind of had written off already. So I think it's a definitely a second life for 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 people like Joe Corona, who I think uh, still you know still has something to offer even uh, as his game develops and evolves. And now he's a more of a defensive minded central midfielder, but who still has that attacking quality, as we saw with the goal he scored against Toluca. Uh, next up, we have U.S. national team under seventeen news to give you the U.S. under 17s take on Mexico today on wednesday uh and if you're listening to this show before uh wednesday afternoon evening you're gonna want to you're gonna want to check that out that you this you u.s under 17 team is definitely a very talented team i know we say it every two years right i feel like every two years we come out we say oh this u17 team is the bomb they've got stars they've got you know i i I know i know i get it we kind of do it all the time but hey listen two years ago that u.s under 17 team I'm pretty sure if you go back and listen to the SBI show two years ago, I was telling you, hey, Chris and Pulisic, this kid is special. Keep an eye out. And look what happened. Two years later, look what he's doing. He's killing it. So uh, not to say that there's a Chris and Pulisic on this U.S. under-17 team, but there's definitely some talented players. When you talk about Josh Sargent, Ayo Akinola, uh, it's quite quite a few guys on there um, to, to, keep, to keep an eye out. Chris Durkin, if you're a D.C. United fan, that's a name you're definitely going to hear a lot of in, in, in the coming years. So uh, we'll see how they match up against Mexico. As we all remember, the U.S. under-20s beat Mexico in CONCACAF qualifying. Uh, uno a cero. Not dos a cero, but uno a cero. Maybe uno a cero will be the new scoreline for the youth teams. Uh, and we'll see if the U-17s can make it 2-0 and against Mexico in youth national team CONCACAF tournaments on Wednesday. And uh, that that's it for the Americans abroad slash U.S. national team front. Uh, there's There's plenty to get into. Uh, which we're trying to keep the show to an hour. I'm trying to keep the show to an hour. Uh, and, and our interview with Dax McCarty is definitely a big, big chunk of that. So we're kind of trying to speed through now. We're going to get into the MLS 
news. And first, we have to start off with the salaries are out again. The MLS salaries have been released. The MLS Players Union does it every year. They release the list of, of the salaries and, and, and guaranteed compensation that players uh, receive throughout the league. And it gives us a sense of what players are being paid, who the highest paid players are. And obviously, it's a lot of the people you expect. Once again, Kaka at the top of the list. And actually, I wrote for Goal.com a story about why it is that he he is once again at the top of the list and why he has remained on the top of the list since he arrived in MLS. So you definitely want to check that story out. Uh, and it was it's interesting when you look at the, the list, when you look at the highest paid players in the league, um, I did think this was an interesting stat. And I kind of don't want to give it away because I want you to go read my story on Goal.com. However, I'll share with you guys since you're listening to the show. Uh, in, in in doing my kind of research on the on the top 20 highest paid players in the league, I did find it interesting that last year, the top 20 highest paid players in the league, of the top 20 highest paid players in the league, only six of them were younger than 30. And going into this season, as, go, starting with the very beginning of the season, of the top 20, 11 were under 30. Now, to be fair... The, there's there's a handful of them that are 29 and that will turn 30 later in the year. I think there are at least three of those. But still, it shows the uh, the shift and it shows uh, M- MLS's focus is getting younger and it's getting it's fo- changing over to trying to find younger talent, younger high level talent players like Nicolas Lodero, uh, Miguel Almiron. I mean, that's the type of talent that if you're MLS, you want to see teams go after. Romain Alessandrini is in his 20s, and he's obviously done well for the Galaxy since he's arrived. Um, so that's good to see. Uh, you know, obviously, with the departure of the likes of Lampard, Drogba, Gerrard, I mean, that's <laughs> you're, you're definitely cutting into the median age when you have those guys leave. Um, and obviously, as I said in my piece, you're still going to see older players come to MLS, older superstar players. And that's not a problem. The problem is when it's kind of when that is too much of the emphasis. And I think MLS is starting to find a better balance of that. And it's going to help the league. It's going to help the league uh, to to have more top players in their twenties, uh, to have teams going after younger, high end prospects. And it's not easy. Just to be fair, it's not easy to convince players in their in their you know twenty twenty one year old twenty two twenty three year old to come and play in MLS as opposed to playing in Europe it's just it's not an easy thing because obviously the top leagues are in Europe uh, and and if you're a, an aspiring player a really highly rated prospect you know you're going to want to probably go to Europe and obviously in certain instances if you, if you're MLS uh, and you have a team that has the resources and maybe has a manager like Atlanta with with Tata Martino who can who can attract younger prospects that's not that's a great thing and 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 hopefully we see more of that hopefully we see more and more teams go after these type of younger high-end prospects and i have no problem with continuing to see older players come in i want to see zlatan ibrahimovic come to mls uh i want to i want to see those i would not mind wayne rooney in mls if he came at a certain price i think he could do well here um but again it's about trying to bring in younger players to help the overall quality of the league and and, and kind of shed the retirement league uh, label. And but we're not you're never going to see that go away because as long as even if it's just a couple of signings, people are going to beat the dead horse and oh, Bastian Schweinsteiger, oh the league's uh, it's an old timers league. But listen, Schweinsteiger's signings looking pretty damn good right now. I don't know if anyone can argue. He's looked he's looked excellent since he's arrived. He and he's doing all the right things and 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 I think that's great to see. Uh now obviously we had MLS week 8 action. And kicking things off in MLS Week 8 was the Chicago Fire 
and Bastian Schweinsteiger, and they and they went up to Toronto. They lost to Toronto FC three to one, and it was a very very good match. Uh, a match that was a was was a closer match than the scoreline would indicate. And obviously TFC at one point was leading three zero, and then David Akam scored the late goal. So you look at the three zero, you say, oh well, you know they dominated, but it really it, it, you know they 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 were the better team. But the Chicago Fire were absolutely in that game. And it was a good game. It was a good battle in the midfield. As uh, absolutely, Victor Vasquez looks really good for TFC. Michael Bradley doing a great job as always. And it was. A, and once it, you know who it was, Giovinco, Sebastian Giovinco made the difference. Uh, had himself a game. I did say he was going to have himself a game, folks. Just last episode, that, that, that you, you knew he was due because he hadn't had one of those MVP type games, and you knew he was chomping at the bit to break through and 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 show remind us all why he's he's considered the best player in the league and Javinko did it he crushed it uh big win for Toronto FC obviously for the fire uh, a tough loss for them but you know what they they have to have these growing pains on the road and find a way to to start developing a a, a winning track record on the road um they've started to do better at home now but now they have to do it on the road uh with this improved Chicago Fire team and obviously up next for the Chicago Fire is the trip to Red Bull Arena to take on the New York Red Bulls. And as we all know, the big, big storyline in that one is Dax McCarty's return to Red Bull Arena for the first time since the trade that sent the former Red Bulls captain to the Chicago Fire. Pretty surprising trade. Really caught, I think, everyone around the league by surprise. But here we are. The dust is settled. We're four months. It's been four months now since the trade went down. Uh, and, and everyone's had a chance to absorb it. Dax McCarty's moved on. He's with the fire now uh, and doing really well with the fire. And uh, New York Red Bulls have moved on. They're doing well in the post-Dax McCarty era. And now McCarty returns to Red Bull Arena in what's going to be an emotional uh, an emotional night. And we're lucky enough to have Dax McCarty on the show as our guest to talk about everything, to talk about his time with the fire and obviously this big emotional matchup and return to Red Bull Arena Dax McCarty, welcome to the SBI show. How are you doing today? Doing very well, Ash. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. It's obviously a big week. Um, and I know you, we've talked before uh, in recent weeks about this game. And, and I know you don't want to you know, play it up too much about the, the personal angle. Obviously, it's a big game in itself in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I, I want to start off with, before we even get into that, the Eastern Conference... Is it is it the toughest it's been since you've been in the league? Uh, Luis Robles made made a comment to me Saturday that he thinks it's actually tougher than the West now. When you look at it, what, what do you think of that statement? And do you think do you see the East as being much tougher now? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Uh, I think the East is much stronger than it has been in the past. Um, I think in terms of is it stronger than the West? I, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we're still seven only seven games into the season, so it's still early. And you don't quite know, you know, how teams are going to shake out, what teams are going to be, you know, rise to the top of the table and what teams are kind of going to fall off. So what I would say, though, is that the Eastern Conference has a lot, a lot of quality. And it's got, it, it's certainly more competitive than it has been uh, the past, I'd say, you know, seven, eight years. I think the introduction of Atlanta United has, has raised the bar even more. They've come in and been, uh, been fantastic. They're, they're going to, they're, they're certainly going to have a part to play in the playoff race. And so, I think every team right now uh, in the East is, is, is dangerous. Even, even a team like Philly, who uh, certainly is, is a good team, but just hasn't been able to, to get many good results. Um, you know, you look at the teams kind of on the bottom right now, teams like Philly and, and teams like maybe Montreal. I mean, these are good teams. These are teams that made the playoffs last year. These are teams that have good players. And so, um, you know, every team, 
from my perspective, and the East got better. And every team is is going to be feeling like they have just as good a chance as any to make the playoffs. And so I'm not going to be as bold as Luis to say <laughs> that uh, the East is better than the West this year. But I will say that the East, uh, both conferences are certainly on par with each other. And obviously, as the season goes on, I think we'll be able to kind of determine who's the stronger conference a little bit later in the season. Right, right. I mean, I, I think I agree from the standpoint that the gap is closed that much because, I mean, there were a couple of years where, you know, it was it was a little extreme, the, the disparity, but the gap's definitely closed. I yeah. think the, the West, in terms of the very, very top end teams, might still have an edge in terms of like their top three might be stronger than the East top three. But it's it's good to see, though, because you want to have balance because obviously you don't want a, a league where one conference is so much tougher. So it's good to see the balance there. Now, now you obviously are heading to Red Bull Arena uh, this weekend. And when I talked to you a few weeks back, you, you said you were trying not to look ahead to it. But it would, you know, it's it's only natural that it would sneak in there, sneak into your thoughts. How soon after the loss to Toronto, and obviously that was a tough loss, but how soon after that did you find yourself like kind of looking at it like, okay, here it is, this is the week? Yeah, I, I you know, I always take losses hard. It doesn't matter if we play well or play like crap. It always takes me a day or two to get over a loss. And so I, I honestly didn't really think about the next game being Red Bull until probably uh, yesterday, probably on, on Monday. So... Yeah, I, I, I took the weekend and tried to just keep my mind off soccer and reflect on the Toronto game, figure out, you know, ways we can get better, ways that I can get better, ways that, uh, you know, we can improve our play on the road. And then probably yesterday, Monday, we had a, we had a day off. I started thinking, wow, this is uh, – the week is finally here, you know, the, the weekend where, you know, I go back to Red Bull Arena for the first time as a visitor uh, since I believe – 2010, I think, was uh, the last time I played at Red Bull Arena as a visitor, and uh, the first and only time I did. So, yeah, it's those feelings start to creep into you. The, the feelings of nostalgia, they start coming back a little bit. More so just, you know, stepping on the field as a visitor and, and you know, all that. They, they, the feelings are, are, are going to come rushing back for sure. But uh, I've tried to, to stay calm about it. You know, I'm I'm a little older now, a little bit more mature. I know. I know what I need to do to prepare for a game and, and especially a game of this magnitude where uh, there's be a lot of pregame talk about me going back to Red Bull arena, but you know, I'm going to just try to block it all out. I'm going to try to try to focus on what our team needs to do to win against the, one of the best teams in the league, you know, and then get three points on the road. So it's starting to sink in slowly, but surely, but I'm sure on uh, Thursday and Friday, it'll be, It'll be a lot more emotional. It's interesting because I just uh, I just talked to Jason Christ on Sunday, and he he had, it would his, it was his first time at Yankee Stadium. Now he only spent a year at Yankee Stadium, so it's not really the same uh, for you. But obviously, I, I do think you guys have something in common in the sense that you have your new team. Uh, the focus is obviously on getting that new team better, and 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 uh, maybe the 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 period where it really was still raw has kind of come and gone, and now these are your guys. This is your team now, the Chicago Fire, your team. So you you head to Red Bull Arena, maybe not – it's not as raw there. But when you walk through the doors, it's it's maybe when it'll it'll kind of hit you. When, when you see those those pictures and the paintings and those murals of, 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 of moments past that, 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 that where maybe it'll it'll be a little emotional. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what it's going to be like, you know. I, I don't know how, how things have changed. I mean – maybe they took all the pictures of me down. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what their interior decorating is like these days, but um, yeah, when you walk through the doors, I think even when I'm sitting on the bus uh, going from the, the hotel uh, to Red Bull Arena, you know, going down the same streets that I always used to go down, pulling into the parking lot, 
um, you know, walking through the tunnel, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's going to be emotional for sure. But like I said before, I mean, this is part of the, uh, the professional athlete process. You know, this just, this comes with the territory. I'd say, if I had to guess, less than 1% of, of players that, that play in professional sports get to stay on the same team for their entire career. So every player goes through it. Um, you know, it just happens that, uh, you know, this is going to be an instance where the team has meant more to me than any other team I've been on, you know, and that's, that's something that, uh, I'm not afraid to admit. That's something that I don't hide. Um, you know, the, uh, the time that I spent with the, the Red Bulls was the, you know, the best time of my career. And it's when I played the best, my best soccer. It's when I grew as a man. Um, you know, it's, it's when I learned a lot about myself and it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be emotional for sure. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great occasion. Um, again, once I step on the field, it's going to be just about soccer and not about anything else. And, and I'm going to do everything that I can do to try to help my team win. And I'm sure the Red Bull guys on the other side of the field are going to do the same. Now we've seen in, in soccer, obviously we see this happen all the time where players face their former teams. Uh, a couple of times we've seen players go to the wrong locker room. I can remember Peter check the first time he went to Stanford bridge, he 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 made he had to do the U-turn. He uh, he started heading toward the home locker room. Wow. I think Brad Davis also a year ago. I think he did the same thing where he it's just it's just natural. It's ingrained, right? You spent so many years going to one locker room. Uh, yeah. are, are, are you gonna make you, now that I'm telling you this? Now it's in your head. So you, are you gonna you think you're gonna be able to avoid yeah. that? Yeah, I think I'll be able to avoid that. I won't make that same mistake. But uh, I, I can certainly see why guys would do it. I mean, it's routine, right? You know, you go you go to the same stadium so much and you go to one locker room and it's, it's kind of just part of your routine. And so I, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, putting it in my head to not do that and make that mistake. It might get kind of awkward, you know, if I walked in the Red Bull locker room and saw all the guys before we stepped on the field. But, uh, I'm, uh, I'm well aware of where the visitors locker room is. <laughs> and so I'll make sure that I go to the right one. Uh, it, now obviously you're going up against Sasha question, a guy, you know, really well, you guys go way back. And now you and you've obviously played together for so many years. Uh, you saw him in January camp, so it's not like you haven't seen him and you haven't like you know played with him and played against him in, tra- in training. But what what's that matchup like? Uh, you haven't had to play against him in a, in a meaningful match in a long time. What's that going to be like? And what's the key a, a, as a player in your position to dealing with someone like Sasha Question? Yeah, that's going to be a fun matchup. I'm looking forward to that. I. Uh... I take a lot of pride in, in playing against the best players in the league. Um, and I, 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 I take it as a, a big challenge. And I haven't played against Sasha as an opponent in, in, in a very long time. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's, it's going to be one of the biggest challenges of the season that I've, I've faced so far and that our team's faced so far. And, um, you know, I've seen firsthand, uh, you know, the ability that, that Sasha has to change games and, and you know, help help the team win. So, He's a big key for them, and he's a big key for for myself because you know I think they're they're back to their the formation four two three one the formation that's been so successful for in the past couple of years, and I think that's where Sasha's at his best. And I think especially the past couple of games, you know he's uh, he's gotten his confidence. Um, you know he's dangerous. He's creating chances, and he's uh, he's 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 a guy that I'll say. I mean, you know his his he's got a great motor on him, but he's not the you know he's not the fastest guy. He's not the quickest guy, but he's a guy who can just kill you with his brain and he can kill you with uh, being two steps ahead of you on the field uh, in terms of, you know, before he even gets the ball, his brain and his movement, some of the best that I think this league has ever seen. So it's going to be a a big challenge for not just myself, but the whole team as well. And, and, you know, how he, 
how he's able to to link up with Brad and and the other attacking players is is going to be a big key for us in terms of how we shut them down. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think we'll probably share a, a smile before the game. You know, I'm gonna, maybe I'll give him a, a friendly kick in the first couple of minutes to to let him know that I'm there and to let him know he's he can't take some time on the ball. I'll be I'll be right there next to him the whole game. So. I'm looking forward to it. it. Should be fun. Another player that I wanted to ask you about because it, it, it's always a, it's always an interesting dynamic. Now I know through your career, especially in recent years, you, you take it upon yourself to really work with younger players and kind of mentor younger players. Uh, and now you're going to be on the field with the younger against the younger player who now has your your old position in Tyler Adams, and he's obviously very promising, very talented kid. Now you, I'm sure you know him well and you like him, but now he's in your old position. Does that matter, or do you kind of look at him with with like a little sense of pride that maybe you helped him kind of come along? And how is that dynamic? How does that come into play when you you go up against your old team and the guys in your old position? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't look at it like that. I don't think it matters to me. I look at him as a uh, I look at him as, at him as a kid who who signed with us as, as a, you know I think he was 15 or 16 and just a guy that's grown so much in his two years with the Red Bulls and the guy that is, you know, one of the players that, that I think has, you know, an extremely bright future. And I look at him as a kid who, you know, he's trying to establish himself as, as a guy that, you know, you have to have on the field. And I think he's starting to try to do that. And so uh, the old adage goes, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are in soccer. If you're good enough, you're old enough. And for me, um, you know, Tyler is proving that, that age is just a number and he's got a really mature head on his shoulders for being such a young guy. Um, you know, he's got a tremendous engine, a tremendous motor, and he's got really, really impressive instincts for the game for being such a young guy. And so uh, I think a lot of credit goes to the older guys in that locker room that have helped bring him along and, and helped instill confidence in him. I think a big part of his development was being able to play for New York Red Bulls too uh, last year and, and, and be a part of that championship team and be a big piece to, to what they were doing. And, and I think that gave him a, a good mature head on his shoulders. And so going through those experiences of an 18 year old or a 17 year old, I mean, those are invaluable. And I think it's starting to show this year that, you know, he's come along and then he's taking his game to the next level. So I don't look at it like, Oh, I'm playing against the guy who's, who's in my position now. Um, I don't look at it like that at all. And, I'll take it even a step further by saying that, you know, whoever wins this game, whether it's the Chicago Fire or whether it's the New York Red Bulls or even if we draw, um, you know, whoever wins the game and whoever loses the game, that's that's. I'm not going to look at that and say, oh, you know, they the, the the Red Bulls made the right decision by trading Dax because they won the game, you know, or oh, right. uh, the Red Bulls made the wrong decision by trading Dax because they lost the game. I think that's ridiculous. And anyone who looks at the game like that, uh, you know, I, I would just say that I disagree with, you know, how they're they're viewing everything because I think you have to, you know, take it with more of a long-term view. This is just one of 34 games. And if the Chicago Fire, if we lose this game against the Red Bulls and we go on to, you know, make the playoffs and have a great season and, and win a trophy, uh, you know, we'll look at that as a success. I'm not going to look back on the New York Red Bulls game that I lost and say, oh, you know, that was – that was such an important part of our season, you know, and I'm sure if the Red Bulls lose, they're not going to look at it and say, oh, well, uh, you know, we shouldn't have traded him. I mean, that's a ridiculous viewpoint, and that's something I hope people, you know, they, they won't make all these wild proclamations after the game is over just because of the result. I think uh, it's a lot more than that, and it goes a lot deeper than that. So I know it'll be a big focus and a big talking point for everyone outside of the, you know, outside of the teams, but I know both teams are, are just, 
trying to win the game because, you know, they want three points. And it's a six-point game because you're playing against an Eastern Conference rival. So that's the way that I look at it. I'm not going to draw too much into it or, or, or make too many conclusions. I always, I always have a chip on my shoulder. I always feel like I have something to prove. So this game is going to be no different. I'm going to step on the field, and it'll probably be a little more emotional. But I'm going to want to beat those guys just as bad as they want to beat me. Now, now obviously, when the trade went down, it, it was it was a very uh... – yeah, I know it came as a surprise, and it was a very emotional period for you. Uh, you I know you definitely felt uh, hard done by and uh, kind of taken by surprise with the whole thing. It, it, was, was there ever a point when you kind of, once the dust settled or, or or when some time had passed, where you kind of, where any part of you looked at it from a practical standpoint and said, you know what, I guess I can understand why they did it, but maybe they didn't handle it the right way. Was that how you kind of, did you did you get to that point? Yeah, I got to that point the day after the trade. <laughs> I, 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 of course, could understand why they made the trade from a practical standpoint. I, uh, I, I thought I was, you know, in the media and stuff, I was pretty clear on that. You know, I understand if, if what their reasoning is and why they wanted to make the trade and the reasons that they made it. I mean, I have no problem with that. Sometimes uh, the thing I like to say is no, no, no one player is bigger than any club. So you have to do what you feel like is best for the organization. And we have no problems with, with that. And I accepted that right away. I obviously felt strongly uh, about the way things were handled, that it, it was not appropriate. And, you know, I made my thoughts known then. And, um, you know, I think the good thing is, is that with me, you, you always, you're always going to get a hundred percent honesty. So I, I gave people my, my true opinion and, and how I felt and, that was people agree with me. They disagree with me. That's fine. You know, I have no problem with that, but uh, I've moved on. Uh, I've accepted it. I accepted it the day after it happened. Obviously it took me a while to, to let it settle and, and to, to let, you know, uh, look at it and, and be, um, you know, be okay with everything just because of how it went down. But I, I understand, you know, the Red Bulls, if, if, if they, if they need to make a decision based on going younger, based on salary cap, whatever, whatever it is. And, and you'd have to ask them. I mean, I, I get it, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of doing the best, whatever's, whatever's in the best interest of the team. That's, that's what, you know, coaches and GMs need to do. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I, I let it, it's not like it was like something that was, you know, that I couldn't accept right away. I mean, I understood it and, and I'm just glad that, uh, you know, I'm in Chicago now and, I'm fighting for another badge and, and, you know, I, uh, I, I try to look at every game that I get to play. as just another opportunity to, to get better and to prove myself. Have you and Jesse spoken since the, the first time, or is that kind of a thing where it's, it's probably not going to happen? Yeah, we, yeah, we spoke. Okay. So that's, you've, it's water under the bridge at this point. I know you were very unhappy at the time when it, when it all went down, but you you guys are. Yeah. Okay I mean, now. We, we've had, we've, we've, yeah, we've, we've had conversations since then. All right. Good. So. I won't. I won't. I won't delve into to, to intimate right. detail. No, I got you. I, you. You could. You. You probably need. Uh, you probably need about <laughs> twenty four hours. But right, right. I yeah, got we, you. we've spoken. Now, now, one thing I I do find fascinating about your time with the Red Bulls is that uh, when you got there, you were part of a big trade. Uh, Dwayne De Rosario traded to DC, and you uh, for, and you you came you came to the Red Bulls, and at the time, and even going into that year, you know, Dwayne De Rosario goes on to win MVP. At, the, at least for that first year, it was looking like, you know, is this the worst, worst trade ever in the history of MLS? Or, you know, it, it looked like a pretty bad trade, at least fans thought so. Uh, and then by the time you leave the Red Bulls, fans were pretty upset that you left and, and you know, you were going to probably go down as one of the 
one of the all-time Red Bulls. Uh, do you remember when you first got there and how you were part of that whole thing? And, and what was that experience like? And, and how much satisfaction was there at the end when you left, realizing like you kind of came full circle? You know, you went from being the guy that, you know, on the wrong, you know, on the wrong end of the trade to being the guy where, you know, the fans were sad to see you go. Yeah, I, I remember that that pretty clearly. I mean, you know, I wasn't, uh, again, you know, as, as a player, you only really see so much and you try to stay off of, uh, you know, the blogs and the fan websites and all that stuff. So I, I wasn't really sure how people were, were taking the trade. I mean, obviously, when, when you get traded for a player uh, of the quality of Dwayne Rosario, you can look at it a couple different ways. You know, you could be flattered by it because that just shows that the Red Bulls value you that highly, um, which I was flattered by it. But, you know, you can also look at it like, hey, I mean, you know, maybe the fans are upset because, you know, this guy doing Rosario has had this sparkling MLS career and I'm just like, you know, young, up-and-coming American guy who's still kind of trying to make a name for himself and trying to prove himself, you know. And I can see the fans' perspective and why they figured, you know, maybe they got they got fleeced a little bit. But the good the good part about me is that, you know, I, I, I try I try to keep an even keel always. Even if I have the best game in the world and, and people are calling me the, the greatest player in the history of soccer, which I'm sure happens all the time, right? <laughs> Yankee Stadium, the 7-0, uh, you were looking I, pretty I, good then. Yeah. <laughs> I, never, I, I try to never let it affect me because if you have a bad game and people are calling you the worst player uh, to ever lace up the boots, which I'm sure has happened as well, um, you know, it, it shouldn't affect you as a player. And to me... The only thing that matters is, you know, coming into work every day and, and proving to your coaches, proving to yourself, and proving to your teammates and your peers, you know, that, that you're doing everything you can to, to be a good teammate and a good player and to try to help the team win. Whatever else everybody else wants to talk about, be it pundits, media, fans, um, wherever they want to try to rate you and make sense of things, that's, that's, that's all conjecture and that's all for them to that that's that's kind of just the fun part of sports right is everyone's got an opinion and no one has no one has the right opinion you know my opinion could be completely different than your opinion on one player but that doesn't make either one of us right or wrong that just makes it that just makes us human and that just makes it professional sports and so i didn't look at the trade and 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 see what people were saying and you know i assumed you know people were like oh man we're we're trading Dwayne DiRosario for this guy that we don't really know who he is so I assumed people were pretty upset about it at the time, but I, I always believed in myself. I always knew that if I was given a chance to establish myself in a team, that, that I could be a, a player who, who was a guy who was a difference maker and a guy who could try to help his team. And fair credit to the fans. If they did have that reaction at first, they, they accepted me with open arms. And I think the way I went about my business and the way that I tried to play and represent the club was was a way that, that they could be proud of. And I like to think that I'm an adopted, uh, an adopted New Yorker, you know, an adopted guy in the tri-state area because of the way that I played. And, and I think fans appreciated that. And they appreciated the fact that no matter how well I was playing or how bad I was playing, um, they knew they were going to get a hundred percent and they knew that I was going to make it, uh, you know, do everything in my power to, to try to help our team win. And so, yeah, uh, obviously things have come full circle since then. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I think the one thing that, you know, is, is my biggest regret about all of the way things happened is that I just never really got a, a chance to say goodbye to the fans. And, and I never got a chance to, you know, properly thank them on the field uh, and, and go around and, and show them how much I appreciated them for my time in New York. And, you know, that's something that you can never really do when you get traded out of the blue and last minute, um, you know, you, you write a, you know, you write a note or whatever and, 
you know, so I wrote a note showing them, you know, and telling them how much they meant to me. But I think it, it means more when, when you can be on the field and when you can show them and, you know, win, loss or draw, you know, I plan on staying, staying after the game and, and going around and saying thank you to the South Ward and clapping them. And, and you know, if, if people want to, want to let one last autograph from Dax or want a picture, you know, I plan on trying to stay there and be there and, and just show, show everyone that supported me so well in my time as a Red Bull that, that, you know, I appreciate it. And it's, it's reciprocated back and that they meant a lot to me and that, you know, fans, they have the capability of, of, you know, making a player confident, lose confidence. And, and the fans always gave me confidence and the fans always appreciated me and, and they always treated me well. So, I'll try to thank them uh, as best I can when I go back there this weekend. And uh, I have to say, I have to give Eric Soler credit way back then. I remember talking to him about the trade that back then, and uh, he was he was convinced he was he he believed in you, and he he said it. He said you're gonna be a you're gonna be a special player for that team. And it really just came down to the fact that De Rosario wouldn't stop scoring goals that year. I, mean, I feel like he scored like two goals. Exactly. A week. He scored two goals a week, and so anybody was gonna look bad that way. The way I looked at it, it was like you know what, Dwayne De Rosario had an unbelievable season, but. DC United didn't make the playoffs, and the yep. Red Bulls did, so I'll take that. <laughs> right, that's right, exactly, exactly. Now, I know we've talked a ton about the Red Bulls. I obviously have to talk to you real quickly, but we have to talk about the Fire, and as far as a lot of teams have improved this year, the Chicago Fire definitely one of those teams that have clearly improved. Uh, you know, compared to they've had some real struggles in recent years, but they've really put together a team that's coming together well. Um, I know you're coming off a loss, but that, that doesn't take away from the fact you guys uh, that the Fire as a team have have really improved. What what do you like about this Fire team? That now that you, you you know it's only seven games in, but you've gotten to know these guys, you play with these guys. What 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 do you like the most about this team? Well, I, I like the fact that you know it's a team that's hungry. Uh, I like the fact that it's a team that's hungry for success. It's a team that. Uh, a lot of the guys who are on the team this year, we have a good balance of, of new players coming in that bring a fresh perspective and, and a fresh mindset. But there's also a good amount of guys that were here the past year, the past two years that were a part of those bad teams and, and a part of losing seasons. And they, uh, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to go through that again. And so the guys that have come in, the new guys have, have brought another level of professionalism. We've brought, you know, an, a, a, another standard of play where we've tried to raise the level and raise the bar and make sure that expectations are higher. Um, so I think it's a good balance and this team is really hungry. And another thing I like about this team is just how flexible we are. Uh, you know, there's a lot of flexibility with the players that we have, especially in the attacking third. We, we, we can play a lot of different formations and we tactically can do a lot of different things because, uh, we have a number of different players in attacking positions that can play a lot of different roles. So that's really exciting. You don't, you know, we, we, we've done sometimes in games, we've played, uh, we started the game in a formation and it hasn't been working. And so we switched the formation and it's been, it's been a lot better for us. And so it's a, it's a fun team. It's a flexible team. And with that being said, I think we still have a long way to go. We're still learning each other and getting to know each other. Um, we're still trying to figure out, you know, the best team and, and our best players and the best combination of players that, that work together and, and make the team, you know, dangerous and the best team out there. But we're deep. You know, we have a lot of uh, players that, that can come in and change a game. And, you know, you look at any of our last couple of games, you know, you, you bring in a rookie like Daniel Johnson, who's been very impressive. You bring in a guy like Arturo Alvarez, who's got, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years of experience and is a very dangerous player in his own right, off the bench. I mean, we've had David Akam on the bench the past couple of days or the past couple of games as he's been recovering from a little injury. And you don't lose a beat. You know, there's guys 
that are hungry to, to prove themselves and guys that are hungry to play. So it's a good team, and, and I'm hoping that uh, we can continue to prove that throughout the year. I do like the fact that you mentioned the, the, the players that were still that were already on the fire coming into the year because I have seen some improvement. Daniel Johnson is definitely a kid who, uh, who impressed me at the Combine, but uh, your left back, uh, Brandon Vincent, I, th- I think he's quietly shown real improvement this year. I don't think he's getting enough credit for – for what he's doing, but I have to ask you, obviously, about Bastian Feinsteiger. Once again, you're playing with a world, a World Cup winner, a uh, international superstar, uh, and now you're playing in a midfield with 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 one after playing with Thierry Henry. What what's that been like so far? I know it's early going, but I mean, obviously, he's looking really good, and and he seems to fit right in with the team and seems to kind of buy into everything. Yeah, it's been it's been great so far. I mean, he's come in and he's really embraced uh, not just the team of the Chicago Fire, but he's embraced the city. Um, I think he's embraced everything about MLS and that's something that's really positive to see because when you get a guy with his reputation and his quality uh, into the league, uh, you hope that, that they enjoy it and you hope that they want to make not only themselves better, but you hope that they want to make the league better. And, and Bastion certainly has done that. So being able to play in the midfield with him, I mean, that's a guy that I've got a ton of respect for. It's a guy that I, I can learn from, um, you know, I may be almost 30, but I still feel like I'm growing as a player and I still feel like I have a lot more to give. And so uh, just being able to pick pick his brain and, and see the way that he trains and the habits that he has um, and being able to just talk to him, have a conversation with him about the game is, is eye-opening. And it's truly incredible, you know, hearing some of the stories that he's told <clears throat> just about his German teams, you know, being part of the World Cup or, or his Bayern Munich teams that have been so good. Um, you know, it's been really incredible to to play with another guy like that again. So hopefully uh, he can continue to improve and get better. And, and hopefully that our relationship on the field uh, continues to improve and get better. Um, but the one thing I'll say about him and, and that's been so impressive is he's just got an ability to make everyone on the field better. He's got the ability to, to, to make guys, uh, you know, hold guys to a high standard, but also make them play uh, at a, at a level that maybe they didn't know they, they could reach. And so, that's a, a big compliment, and that's something that I'm really impressed with with him. But, you know, we still think that he's just scratching the surface of how much he can help our team. All right. He's a, he also seems like a pretty humble guy. Uh, one, one of the funnier moments uh, this past week was the picture of him him taking the photo of, of like, the fire players at, at the airport in Toronto. I thought that was pretty classic. Yeah. I don't know. Were you, were you there for that? Did you see that? What did you think when, you, when that kind of made the rounds? I was, I, I was, I was there. I was actually, uh, at, I was actually at a different part of the baggage claim trying to figure out where my bag was and, and get my bag. So I didn't actually see it go down, but when I saw the picture, it didn't surprise me. I mean, Bastion is, he's a guy who is just kind of a, a happy go lucky type of guy and he, nothing really phases him. You know, he, he's never, he, he's, he's like you said, he's a humble guy. Um, and just because he's, he's, he's been this world champion and, and a great player for the best teams in the world, he, uh, he interacts with everyone. He doesn't just, you know, go off on his own and do his own thing. He interacts with our 18 year old players. He interacts with our homegrown guys. He, you know, he talks to everyone. He's, he's a guy who's come in and just fits seamlessly. So I'm not surprised that he was, uh, he was uh, gracious enough to take the picture, <clears throat> even though it did make for a pretty funny moment. Well, Dax, I definitely appreciate the time. I just have to hit you with two quick ones before we, before we let you go. First, I, I definitely wanted to ask you about a, a, a moment in your career uh, just because not everyone gets to play in a championship game in a final. So I kind of want to get your experience about how much it drives you. The 2010 MLS Cup final, 
uh, FC Dallas. You played the whole game. Uh, went down to the wire. You guys lost to the Rapids. How, it, where does that rank in terms of just the experiences for you? And how much does that drive you, having been there, having been so close to the kind of the mountaintop, quote unquote? Uh, what, what do you remember about that that experience? Other than the fact that it was cold, freezing cold that night. Yeah, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. Uh, I think that it's probably one of the people might think I'm crazy for this, but it's probably one of the top. I say it's probably one of the top five experiences that I've ever had in my career. And I say that because uh, not every experience um, is going to be a positive one. Not, not every experience you have in your career is going to be one that's, that's amazing and incredible. And I, I think every experience you have is, is something you should learn from. So that was a, a great experience for me because that was my first time. Um, you know, that was the, 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 the first moment where uh, I really felt you know, an incredible amount of pain after a loss. I mean, I always take losses hard, but that one was, you know, harder than any other loss I'd ever taken because not just because it was a final, but just because of the way the game went, the way it played and, and we played well and we were just kind of unlucky and I felt like we didn't deserve to lose the game. And again, you never know when you're going to get an opportunity to get back to a final. So that being my first one and having it end in overtime so bitterly, like on an own goal the way that it did, yeah, that was a killer, man. That was crushing. And so I tried to take that and I tried to use it. And, you know, I haven't had the chance to get back to an MLS Cup, but uh, I know that, that I've, you know, I use that as motivation every single day. I step on the field to try to get back there and to try to improve and, you know, to try to, to, try to get one of those rings because the two finals I have played in, the uh, U.S. Open Cup final back in, I believe it was 2007, and the MLS Cup final in 2010, those are moments that, that, you know, my team lost both games. And so you want to, you want to be remembered for being a champion and, and being a player that, that one thing. And so I was lucky enough to win two supporter shields at the Red Bulls. And, and those were unbelievable moments, but that's kind of more of a culmination of just a fantastic season, you know, and anywhere else in the world, you're probably get to call yourself a champion, but here in the you need to win in the playoffs. And so it's a huge motivator for me. Um, you know, certainly would, would have, uh, would have loved to, uh, you know, part of my motivation was obviously, you know, wanting to be a part of the first team in, in Red Bull history to, uh, to win an MLS cup, but obviously that's not to be. So now uh, I want to be a part of the second team in history to, uh, to win an MLS cup for the fire. Right. And, and I was talking about the, uh, the one piece of silver, this, one of the pieces of silver where you did win the first one, the supporter shield, the coach at the time was Mike Petke. He's back in the league. He's the head coach for Salt Lake. Obviously, he's played a big part in, in, in your career. Uh, what did you think when you heard that he would be taking over? He'd have another opportunity to coach, and, and, and what do you just think about that, him being back in the league? Yeah, I was really happy for Mike. Uh, I was thrilled for him. And uh, I think it was well-deserved. I think it shows a lot of patience on Mike's part to wait for the job, a job that was right for him. So I was I was very happy for him. I, I know he deserves another chance to, to coach in MLS. I mean, he, he was brilliant for the Red Bulls, as you know, and, and probably harshly uh, let go of at Red Bull. And so these are the decisions that happen all the time in, in soccer and professional sports. And while it's unfortunate, um, you know, <clears throat> Mike was really mature about the way he handled it and obviously landed back on his feet. And he's done really well now his first couple games in Salt Lake. And so, um, you know, we've already played them this year before he, he, he was hired, so I won't get to see him. But, you know, I, uh, I'll certainly send him a text here in the next couple of weeks just, you know, telling him I'm really happy for him. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe we'll be able to see him in MLS Cup if he does well. Maybe the Fire and Real Salt Lake will be uh, – we'll, we'll meet each other and I'll get to see him. 
Nice. There, there, there would definitely be something. Now, now it, your birthday is on yeah. Sunday. I don't know if people realize this. Uh, this is this is the last week of your twenties. I don't know if people realize you're still in your twenties. You're a young kid. You're a kid, man. You're a kid. Even though people probably think you're thirty five because uh, you've been around so long. I, there you go. I'm <laughs> no. a young buck, man. I'm a young buck. I'm, 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 you know, thirty going on twenty five. I feel great. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's some sort of weird coincidence. I don't know, like what the universe is trying to tell me or something that. I go back to Red Bull Arena, uh, and the game is the, the the day, the night, right before my my thirtieth birthday. You know, maybe it's it's a weird one. You know, maybe that's that's the uh, the Red Bull Global. You know, you know, <laughs> getting getting rid of all their older players, and who knows who knows what it means. But uh, it's it's certainly going to be fun. Uh, I'm going to see a lot of friends. You know, I'm going to try. I think we have for Chicago. I think we have a day off on Monday. I'm going to try to stay an extra day and make sure that I'm able to. Uh, a bunch of friends that, that I know in the city and just uh you know get to say a proper goodbye to all my friends in the city and then people that uh people that I'll miss and, and go out for a nice dinner after the game and uh definitely try to hang out with some of the Red Bull boys afterwards some of my better friends on the team hopefully I'll be able to meet up with them and uh all the guys you know maybe win lose or draw maybe we'll all be able to share a beer and share a laugh and a couple memories uh and, and just you know make sure that we appreciate the time that we did have together because uh you know the the I'll, I'll just I guess I'll use the Jesse Marsh era. You know the two years that that we had under Jesse. I mean they were they were really successful and they were really they were really uh, pleasure really pleasurable pleasant times to be a part of the Rebel organization. And so like I said I'm 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 looking forward to the trip and and hopefully I'll uh, I'll have something to celebrate for my birthday. That's right. That'd be a pretty good, pretty good birthday present. Uh, a W a W coming back to uh, to Red Bull. Well, once again, thanks you thank you so much for all the time and. Uh, I'll be seeing seeing you this weekend, and, and for those checking in, Saturday night, New York Red Bulls, Chicago Fire, Dax McCarty's return. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys, no problem. Uh, that's Dax McCarty, and I got to say, you know, classy, classy individual, uh, one of the best professionals you'll 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 find, and you'll come across in MLS, and uh, definitely not an easy situation for him going back to Red Bull Arena. Um, as much as you know, you, you can put a trade behind you, and and you can come to kind of come to grips with the whole thing. It's going to it's still going to be an emotional experience walking through those doors, walking out into that field. And uh, I'm sure the, the, I'm sure the fans of Red Bull arena, I'm sure the Red Bull fans are going to let him know uh, what he meant to them because he, you know, he was a very important player, obviously captain of that Red Bulls team. And, and, uh, and he really put in a strong uh, five plus years there um, playing at a really high level and helped them win a pair of supporter shields. So, uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of love there, and I, I'm also sure he's going to want to beat those guys, just like Jason Christ. As much he, he, as he wouldn't say, "Oh, you know, there, there's something extra to beating uh, the former team." That's always that's always there. There's always something there, and uh, you want to do it. You want to prove it deep down. I'm sure he does. Uh, and, and obviously, it's an important game anyway. You want to win it, but there's a little extra there. There's a little extra there, no doubt about it. Um, moving on to the rest of MLS Week Eight, uh, we're going to recap Week Eight. I know Week Week Nine's uh, around the corner; it's just a couple of days away. We start start things off with another Friday night game, but we have to go back to to this past weekend, uh, and we're going to do the lightning round version of the of the recap. Starting off, Philadelphia Union three three draw Montreal Impact, and what a gut punch for the Union! Up three zero, looking like they were going to get that first win of the season under their belt, and what do you know? They fell apart, just completely collapsed. And Jim Curtin just has to be at a loss for why the team continues to fold the way that uh, c- continues just to fall short when it comes to results. 
Obviously, they played well enough to start that match, but credit the impact. You have to give Montreal credit. They kept fighting. They kept pushing. They kept really going at the Union, and they felt like they could they could get the Union to blink, and the Union blinked, and they, they crumbled. And now, I mean, it's been the, – the Union have not won a match since August, and clearly the pressure is on Jim Curtin now. And not just Jim Curtin. The pressure is on Jim Curtin. The pressure is on Ernie Stewart and, and everyone involved there. Uh, as they try to deal with what is really becoming an ugly situation. Uh, it's one thing to have a slow start, but at the same time, when you look at the Eastern Conference, and as we talked about with Dax McCarty, the, the Eastern Conference is an improved conference. It's a much tougher conference. There are a lot fewer, there are, you know, when you want to talk about gimmies, um, there's not a lot of gimmies in the Eastern Conference. And when you look at how some other teams have have stepped up and and improved and are are have improved results. Columbus Crew missed the playoffs. They're they're back and they're and they're crushing it this year. The Chicago Fire clearly an improved team. Atlanta United the expansion team, and they look like one of the best teams in the league. So if you're the Union, you made the playoffs last year. You, you your minimum goal this year was to get back and get and get a step further. Now you're looking at it and the playoffs are starting to look like a really 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 far away possibility. Right, because you've already given given up, you know, eight weeks of the season with and without a win, you're losing ground week after week, and now you know you had this opportunity against Montreal, a team that is also off to a slow start, and you you drop points, you drop two points. That's two points you cannot afford to drop, and uh, it, this, this one's tough, and I know that one definitely has to hurt Jim Curtin, um, and we'll see what kind of pressure he is in, and we'll see how he handles things. And and I I know Jim Curtin, he knows he. He knows as well as anyone that it hasn't been good enough from a result standpoint, and we'll see what they do now as they go on the road and they try to they try to turn this thing around. We'll see how much more time he is given, um, because we know it's an unforgiving league now. It's not like it used to be where you could get away with a couple of years uh, of just being bad. Um, nowadays, I mean, we saw with Real Salt Lake three games. Jeff Kassar got three games and he was out. Um, do I think Jim Curtin's getting fired this week? I'd be a little surprised if he were fired this week. But at a certain point, something's got to give. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, next up, Houston Dynamo San Jose Earthquakes. I got to give credit to Wilma Cabrera. He knew he had to make some changes. He knew he had to turn some things around there. Uh, the team kept uh, blowing these leads, kept uh, you know starting well, good first half, and then and then second half choking it away or, or just falling apart. And now, 2-0 victory. They switched to a 4-4-2. Uh, they showed more balance, and really, what it, I think it's come down to in some of these other matches, uh, especially playing in the four-three-three, you expend so much energy uh, going after teams, and 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 really, uh, just when you you saw the high the high level of intensity that the Dynamo would play at in those games, it was no doubt, it was it was no surprise that they would fade out in the second halves, and that they wouldn't have the energy to maintain that, and and teams always found a way to kind of break them down after that, and I think. Maybe Wilmer Cabrera has looked at that and says, you know what, as much as the 4-3-3 is great, as much as attacking and starting out just blitzing teams is great, it's inevitable that my team's going to be out of gas in the second half. And against good opponents, they're going to be able to take advantage of that. And we saw against the Earthquakes a more balanced team, a team that looked just as strong in the second half as the first half, and a defense that could actually hold a lead and actually post a shutout. So impressive performance by the Dynamo. And by Wilma Cabrera, big win for them. Next up, Portland Timbers, 2-1 to one winners over the Vancouver Whitecaps. No Fernando Adi, no Sebastian Blanco, no problem. The Timbers go to their bench, and they and they are able to get players who can help them. Dyron Espria, Darren Maddox, they don't miss a beat. 
And who steps up but Darlington Nagby, looking like the Nagby you all hope to see. Uh, you know, it, it's like my he he reminds me of like kind of that superhero that kind of again not to call Darlington Nagby a superhero, but have you ever seen like the you know whether it's cartoons or the movies where they're that kind of uh, the reluctant superhero, right? The, the, the one who doesn't want to have to get involved, but then if he gets involved, all of a sudden the cape's on and he's just saving the day. That's Nagby. Nagby has the ability to do special things, um, but he consistently, he can't do it. He doesn't do it on a consistent basis, but whatever gets him going, whatever sparks him, whatever makes him put the cape on, once the cape's on, you see some of the best soccer in the league. You see one of the best players in the league, and that's what we saw against Vancouver. Uh, and so my theory on it is, you know what? Vancouver's the same team that passed on Nagby with the number one overall pick. They chose Omar Salgado. And I feel like somewhere deep down, deep, deep down, Nagby remembers that every time he plays them. Every time he plays them, he he he, he makes magic happen. I feel like all his special goals have been against the Whitecaps. He obviously scored another amazing goal this week. But big win for the Timbers. They just keep it rolling. They, they are absolutely an MLS Cup contender. And when you see the team's bench step up that way, it just shows you that there's a lot more to them than just having a strong attack. They also have a deep squad there. So Caleb Porter looking pretty good right now. Next up, New England Revolution 2-2 draw with DC United. The Revs had two home games, and they settled for two points, two draws. And while neither of, neither is a loss, if you're Jay Heaps, you can't be happy because you figure you go home, you want to get four points or ideally six points, but you want to at least get four points at home. They weren't able to, to, to close out either of those games and get the victory. They settle for the draw. DC United, you know what? Give them credit. They go there. Uh, they get a draw. They probably feel a little unlucky that, you know what? It, they could have won the game. Uh, Sean Franklin own goal uh, tied things up there. But if you're DC, you, if you can go to New England and you get a point, you're feeling okay. You're feeling okay because, um, you know, you have to temper expectations there, I think, a little bit if you're DC United. Next up, Red Bulls crew. Red Bulls defeat the crew 2-0. I was at this game. And obviously, tough start for the crew when Archer breaks his wrist in the first minute. 28 seconds in, broken wrist. And that was a huge blow. The crew, uh, Archer has been one of the best newcomers in the league. He's been a big key to the crew's start to the season. And you lose him in the first minute, and I just don't think the crew recovered from that. And that's not to take anything away from the Red Bulls. The Red, Bull, Red Bulls played very well. They moved the ball around well. Uh, they really, especially in the first half, they controlled the game. They obviously take the 2-0 lead. The crew in the second half dominate possession. But the Red Bulls are kind of protecting the lead at that point. Um, but it was a rough night for the crew. Uh, and the Red Bulls jumped, at least for one night, they jumped in the first place in the Eastern in the Eastern Conference. Um, now that they're back in their familiar 4-2-3-1 formation. And when you see Tyler Adams really starting to develop his game and really starting to settle in as a starter, um, you know, I actually asked uh, Greg Berhalter about Tyler Adams. And now Greg Berhalter doesn't like talking about players from other teams, right? That's just kind of, you know, he's old-fashioned. He, but he said it he to me. He said, you know what? I don't like talking about guys from other teams, but Tyler Adams is a player. And you know what? I think more and more people are starting to get impre be impressed by Tyler Adams as he continues to develop. And he had, a, he had himself a game here. So did Alex Muil, another strong game for him. And the energy that those two homegrown players are giving them uh, you, it can't be overstated. It's huge. It's huge for them and, and what they want to do in terms of their pressing, in terms of the energy they need to do what they do best. And and you know what? It's going to be fun to watch them against the Chicago Fire and the quality of the Fire have in their midfield. Uh, that's going to be a great match to watch. We'll obviously preview that on the next episode of the SBI show. Uh, but moving on, the big game, the game of the weekend, FC Dallas defeated Sporting Kansas City 1-0. 
in the Battle of the Unbeatens, and you knew this was going to be a defensive struggle, right? You knew it was going to be one goal, uh, tightly contested game. But you know what? Credit to FC Dallas. They got the job done. Minor figure with the winner. And, uh, you know, Dallas had, had more the more chances. They, they, they deserve this win, and I don't think anyone would argue that. Um, they are the class of the league, for my money. They are the top team in the league. And the scary thing is Mauro Diaz has just returned to training. So they've been the, the class of the league without Mauro Diaz. And now they're going to get Mauro Diaz back. That's just scary. I tell you what, folks, the MLS Cup is looking like it's headed to Dallas if they can stay healthy. Obviously, a lot can happen between now and then. Other teams can add pieces. Things can happen to Dallas. You never know. But looking at this Dallas team is impressive. This Dallas team is is, is fun to watch. And with Diaz in it, it, on top of what they already have, that's scary to think about. Uh, next up, talking about a team that has all the pieces or, or that just looks really good, Atlanta United, it still shocks me that this is an expansion team. They go to they go to Utah. They beat Real Salt Lake 3-1. to one, Hand Mike Pecky his first defeat as coach of RSL. Now, I picked Atlanta to win this game, right? So it's not like I'm sitting here saying it's a surprise that they won. But it just shows you again that this team is legit. This team goes into every game... Uh, they're not afraid of anybody. They feel they can match up with anybody. Now, look, they why should they, right? This isn't like your old-school expansion team where they don't have talent. Uh, they only have a couple of players. This Atlanta team is stacked front to back. I mean, the fact that Joseph Martinez has been injured and they haven't missed a beat, it just shows you how much quality they have. Oh, yeah, let's go. Hey, Kenwin Jones, you're on our bench. Go start now. Kenwin Jones in your starting lineup. Uh, nice injury fill-in, right? Um, but you have him, you have Villalba, you have Almiron, you have uh, Yamil Assad. And then in the back, um, their, their defense is solid as well. So Gonzalez Pérez is, is, is probably the best newcomer center back in the league. And are, and really, for me, looks like one of the best center backs, period, in the league. Um, so, yeah, everything's going right for Atlanta. And they don't even have Jose Martinez right now. So that that's just scary to think about. And if you're RSL, you know what? This is a bit of a wake-up call because – it was great that they got the wins that they that that they got the first two wins under uh, Mike Pecky, but this is a different class of competition now. You're talking playoff teams and you're talking non-playoff teams. RSL is a non-playoff team that has to aspire to breaking into that playoff level, and that means beating teams that are better than the teams that they have beaten in the recent weeks. And I still think there's a gap there, and that's no knock on Pecky. He knows he he knows he has work to do with this team. There's talent on it. But it, there's a lot of youth on it as well, and they, and and they are missing some pieces there. So, RSL's a work in progress. Um, so, but I, I don't think anyone should get too too worried. I think they have a Pecky's Pecky can do the job. Pecky's a very good coach, and I think he's I think he will help kind of help that team develop the way it needs to develop. Will it take some time? I think it will. I don't know about the playoffs for this year, but I think I'm very excited to see what Pecky can do with the talent there, especially the young talent. Uh, next up, Orlando City. Goes to Yankee Stadium. Jason Christ, his return to Yankee Stadium, gets the W, 2-1. to one. Kyle Aaron, this guy is a beast, and he just owns NYCFC. He is to NYCFC what David Ortiz was to the Yankees, right? And I bring it up because, again, it was at Yankee Stadium. And Kyle Aaron loves Yankee Stadium. He loves it. He scored both goals. And I got to tell you, folks, and I wrote about it for you who didn't see it on Goal.com. And by now, you should be going to Goal.com all the time. To read my stuff, let's be honest, you should be doing that anyway. But in case you missed it, I wrote about Kyle Aaron and how he is in much better shape now than he's been ever in his career. Um, and look, this is to say the guy's at like out of like he didn't come into the league out of shape. Um, but in terms of like high level 
athlete standards. Like he came in behind, he came into the league behind and he even said it like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, uh, uh, take care of himself, uh, at like a high level athlete, uh, in college. Cause you know, you're, he was like, he basically was like a college kid who, you know, when you're in college, you eat junk food, you don't, you know, you, you don't, uh, focus as much on what you're taking in, what you're drinking, what you're eating. Um, and so there was a big learning curve for him when he came into the league and an even bigger learning curve from there to where he is now. Once Jason Christ came on board and, uh, you know, I, I spoke to Jason Christ about Laren and he told me he was, he was amazed at, at his kind of fitness levels and that, and how they weren't anywhere near good enough. And yet he was still scoring goals with ease. Now he's, now he's even more fit. And I broke the numbers down in my piece, but his, when you look at his activity, and how involved he is in games, it's clear he is more involved in matches now. He's got six goals already, and he's second in the league in goals scored. Uh, so he's off to a great start, but he is clearly more fit. If you see Kyle Aaron without a shirt off, he's got the he's got the abs going now. He's got the washboard. He's got the six-pack abs going. He didn't have those when he came into the league. I'll tell you that right now. He did not have the six-pack abs coming into the league. And he got. I actually pointed that out to him. And not that, not that I have six-pack abs. I have, like, 240s. But he, he's he got the six-pack abs. And I pointed it out, and he got, he got a laugh out of it. But it's scary to think about what he's going to do over the course of a full year with being at top peak level physical condition. And when you think about the summer in Orlando and how hot it gets, teams having to go to the heat in Orlando and have to try to stop a, a, a fit, fully in-shape Kyle Aaron, Good luck, folks. Not going to be easy. Next up, Seattle goes to L.A. and trounces the L.A. Galaxy 3-0. And once again, like I said, look, I picked Seattle to win. I picked Seattle to go there and win that game. But I don't know anybody that thought they were going to go to L.A. and just smash the Galaxy. I mean, the first half of that game was embarrassing. If you're a Galaxy fan, you had to be embarrassed by that. And I'm sure Kurt Anolfo was embarrassed by that first half and and should start worrying about his job. Um, because look, the Galaxy are not used to losing. Galaxy uh, fans, Galaxy ownership—they are not—they are not used to losing. And I wrote about this in my MLS wrap on Monday uh, on Goal.com, and I broke down the stats. And it's—it's it's crazy when you think about this. Is the worst start that they've had since 2007. That means Bruce Arena never had a start this bad. Bruce Arena, when he was coaching the Galaxy, never had a start to the season, the first seven matches where he had more losses than wins. Not once. And now first week, uh, first game, first season in after Arena, and we're off to, it's off to an ugly one. Um, Five losses. Five losses. The most losses they've had in the first seven matches since 1997. 20 years. It's been 20 years since the Galaxy had five losses in the first seven matches. And if you're Kurt Nolfo, you've got to be worried. you got to start worrying about your about your job and 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 i know some people say wait a minute does he have to worry about his job more than jim Curtin? jim Curtin doesn't even have a win yet actually yes and you know why because the expectations are higher for the la galaxy for the manager of the la galaxy one of the most high profile positions in the league absolutely one of the most coveted positions in the league trust me on that one i know that because when it was available i heard plenty of interest uh, from coaches around the league in that job. A lot of coaches wanted that job. Curtin Alfo got it, and it's off. they're off to a bad start. And look, this isn't all on Curtin Alfo. Uh, Peter Vajenas is the GM. Chris Klein is the president. There's a lot of blame to go around for this bad start. And yes, I know there were injuries, but 
they've got most of those guys back. I know Sebastian Legette's out. I know Robbie Rogers is still out, and he may who knows what if he'll come back. But when you have Gio DeSantos, Jesse Zardis, Jameen Jones back down, Romain Alessandrini, you have talent. There's Giella Vandama. You have talent. There's no excuse for five losses in your first seven matches when you have that kind of talent. So uh, we'll see what kind of time Curtin Awful gets. But at a certain point, there's just more pressure in L.A. And his bosses are going to start having to watch their own backs. And, and I think we can see a change there. And I know I've only talked about L.A., but Seattle, credit to Seattle, they look like MLS Cup champs in this one. Uh, Brian Schmetzer, you give him credit. He put Jermaine, uh, he put uh, Jordan Morris on the left wing, put in Will Bruin up top. Will Bruin looking pretty good there. That was I, I, I said at the time when they picked him up, I thought this was a very shrewd pickup. Uh, I, I don't think Will Bruin ever got the credit he deserved in Houston, and I know he had his share of inconsistency there, but there's talent there. He's a talented player. He never really had a chance to play in a really dynamic attack. And now Will Bruin is playing in an attack that has Jordan Morris on the left, Clint Dempsey in the middle, Nicholas Ladero on the right. And I mean, I tell you what, folks, he can he'll put the goals in. If he can hold on to that starting spot, he's gonna put the goals in. And Seattle's looking pretty good. And I think I I tell you what, the most shocking part about this 3-0 win is the fact that Seattle did it with their with, with a second choice center back tandem. Tony Alfaro and Svensson. Uh, started in place of Chad Marshall and, and Roman Torres, and they still posted the shutout. And I know that had to be a sweet one for Alfaro, who, if I recall correctly, played at uh, uh, at the school where StubHub Center is. So nice one for him to come home, get the W with his team. Moving on, last game of Week 8, Minnesota United with the 1-0 victory over Colorado. Miguel Ibarra with the header. Uh, and uh, another victory, uh, and more importantly than the than the win, not more importantly, but just as importantly as win, is the shutout. And I know Colorado, when it comes to attacks, Colorado, I mean, it's not a stretch to say they have the worst offense in the league, the worst attack in the league. But still, when you're Minnesota and you've given up the kind of the numbers of goals that Minnesota gives up, to get a shutout is so, so big, such a confidence booster. For a guy like Calvo, who's had a rough start to, this, to his time in MLS, I thought he did really well for them. And how about Miguel Ibarra getting on the board? I know it's been a bit of an up-and-down year for him. He's, he's struggled a bit to get into the lineup. He got that goal, gets the winner, kisses the badge, or so he thought. He kissed the wrong side of his shirt. He kissed the Adidas logo. I know I gave him a little stick about that on Twitter, but it's great to see. Uh, obviously, the Minnesota fans love Ibarra from his time at NASL. And we've already seen Christian Ramirez killing it in MLS. And now you see Ibarra get the goal. Maybe this becomes a breakthrough moment for him. And maybe we will see what the whole Batman and Robin thing was about if both of them start producing for Minnesota. Big boost for them. Colorado, I'll tell you what. I really think, I mean, they make the trade, right? They trade away Sam Cronin and Mark Birch. And part of the reason for the trade was to kind of clear up space because they're going to go get some attacking help. I just wonder if they might have messed up the recipe. Because they are nowhere near the team that they were defensively. And I know Axel, Axel Schoberg, Axel Hoiberg, being injured is a big part of that. But, I mean, they don't look anywhere near like the team they were. And I, 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 didn't, like it, I, I didn't like the trade at the time. I didn't like the idea of trading away Sam Cronin. I think he's a very, very underrated player, very important piece to the puzzle for the Rapids. And they traded him away. And what do you know now? He goes to Minnesota, and all of a sudden, they're starting to post shutouts. So that's something to think about. And I'm starting to wonder, you know what, if you're Paolo Mastroeni, if you're uh, Pedro Smith, did you kind of get ahead of yourselves, and did you make a mistake messing with the chemistry of the team that you had now? 
And even if you do go get attacking help, which is what the Rapids are supposed to get, will this team be good enough to be a playoff team and and duplicate what they did last year? I don't know. I don't know if they I don't know if they have it. I think this I think I think last year is is looking further and further away as a potential repeat for the Rapids. I just don't see them doing what they did last year. And I think that's it. I think we've covered all of the the week eight matches and the recap Americans abroad. Uh, and uh, I definitely I wanted to wrap up, of course, with the Clásico. Uh, Barcelona defeats Real Madrid and Lionel Messi. I mean, talk about a storybook moment. His fifth hundredth goal, uh, professional goal, and he scores it as the winner in the last seconds to beat Real Madrid in the Clásico in Madrid. I mean, that you couldn't write a better script, uh, obviously, unless you're a Real Madrid fan, because then I think you would want a better script than Sergio Ramos' red card, Lionel Messi winner. Um, but basically, anyone who's not a Real Madrid fan had to enjoy and appreciate that. And and it's why a lot of people and why more people, including myself, think Lionel Messi is the best player in the world. Uh, has he had his ups and downs uh, in, in, in the past year or so? Of course. But he is still a special, special uh, player, Spe- you know, once in a generation type player. Nothing against Cristiano Ronaldo because he's a special player in his own right. But uh, as I, I still agree with what what PK said, uh, Gerard PK, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's the best of the humans, and Lionel Messi is the best of the of the aliens. Like he's the he's the best from from outside the world because he's just like uh, he's like from another planet. Let's face it, and we're all lucky to be able to watch him play. Um, but that's it. That's it for, for this episode of the SBI show. I'll be back on Friday. We'll be previewing MLS Week 9. We'll be talking U-17s and how they did against Mexico, how Christian Pulisic did against Bayern Munich in the in the DFB Pokal, and all other topics on American soccer. I'm going to try to do a, uh, a Q&A as well uh, on Twitter. So keep keep an eye out. If you don't follow me, follow me on Twitter at, at SoccerByIvis. I'll be dropping the Ask the SBI Show hashtag, and we will have a Q&A segment on the next episode. I don't know who the guest is going to be yet, but we'll try to have a guest for the next episode. So stay tuned for that on Friday. That's all for now. I'm Ivis Kalarsa. This is the SBI Show. Mm-hmm.